Green Day's 1994 major label debut, Dookie, was a breath of fresh air in the alternative music stratosphere which was still reeling from the untimely death of Kurt Cobain. Nirvana had ushered in an era of bleak nihilism in their pursuit for artistic freedom. Green Day weren't more motivated than the Seattle trio. Lead singer Billy Joe Armstrong certainly wasn't arguing that people needed to pick themselves up by their bootstraps, but Green Day offered a more jovial outlook to wasting away and doing nothing with songs like When I Come Around and Longview. Sandwiched between the mainstream juggernauts Dookie and Nimrod, which features the acoustic standout Time of Your Life, Insomniac exists on an island. It's a major label record with songs about the perils of the DIY lifestyle, crippling panic attacks, and hard drug use. Before Green Day became the poster children for opposing George W. Bush in the Iraq War, they were struggling young adults trying to straddle the line between punk credibility and becoming corporate entities. Insomniac is Green Day's hardest-hitting record. It's the trio at their angriest and arguably their best. And above all else, it's an art school album. A few months ago, my guest today invited me to a leftover crack show, and I turned him down on the invitation. And ever since then, I have regretted it because this is the one person in my life that I can always count on for not only skateboarding opinions, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, but I can always count on this person to give me his honest opinions on the crust punk scene. The crust punk scene. The crust punk scene. But we are not here to discuss any crust punk bands today. We are actually here to discuss a band that has somehow turned into one of the most respected and in a weird way legendary rock bands maybe ever at this point. We are here to discuss Green Day, their record Insomniac, and my guest today is Charlie Ulch. Charlie, how are you doing? Uh, as I told you earlier, I lost my... Can I swear? You can swear. Cool. Uh, I lost my fucking vendor card, <laughs> <laughs> and it's raining. I haven't showered, I haven't shaved, so I'm just stinky and hairy and ready to talk about this album. I'm glad you contextualized that for me, so any strange behavior that may come up, I can now blame it on uh, your just general well-being, because it sounds like things I'm maybe... I'm depressed. <laughs> it sounds like things maybe aren't going well for you. Like, they're d- like well, in the sense of, like... I graduated last year yeah, with you're a degree no, in comedy. You're no longer an art school student. You're now an art school graduate. How's the real world treating Fucking you? Fucking sucks, dude. Yeah. Stay in this fairy tale land as long as you can. For sure. That's the only advice I got. Make make the most of it. Listen, yeah. listen live, laugh. Live, love. laugh, love? Live, laugh, love. Yeah, because then you just get shipped off to whatever coffee shop you end up working at. That's what I'm saying. We recently talked about how I became the CEO of Pete's. Man, one day. Wouldn't that be beautiful? You're One just day. running coffee in the central Chicago area. Bro. That's the future, I think, Take is in the books for you. But we are here today, like I said, to discuss the band Green Day. Yeah. And when I approached Charlie about coming on the show, I knew I wanted Charlie on because, again, he's someone who, in a strange way, uh, intersects with my music tastes a lot because there's not a lot of people that maybe have strong opinions on like Days and Days Rogue, Rogue Taxidermy which yeah. is weirdly one of my favorite albums of all time even though I completely uh, do not vibe with the Days and Days vibe crowd or lifestyle yeah. but I really enjoy that record but I asked Charlie to be on this and one of the records that he said he maybe wanted to talk about was Green Day's American idiot. Yeah. When you think Green Day, is that the album that comes to mind? Um, it's a real hard toss up because when you originally like pitched it to me, I was you were like, find an album that like means a lot to your childhood. And so I had like basically three albums in mind. I was either gonna go Green Day's Dookie, Green Day's American Idiot, or maybe Avenged Sevenfold's uh, Waking the Fallen, like their second album. And then you suggested that. I was like, well, let's do something a little bit, like, unique. And I was like, let's do, like, you were like, let's do uh, Insomniac. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, no one talks about that. Exactly. It's similar to, we talked about Weezer's Pinkerton on the first episode of this. Instead of doing the Blue Album, Mm -hmm. I am very interested in having a discussion on either Bleach or In Utero, but not necessarily Nevermind at some point when we talked about the Pantheon of Nirvana records. It is the same thing with Green Day. There is a lot that has been said about Dookie and a lot that has been said about American Idiot, but Insomniac is almost this lost album because it's still the 
punk personified sound that mm-hmm. Green Day is probably when you think about Green Day, you're thinking of Basket Case, Longview, Welcome to Paradise, those sorts of songs. And most of this record is in the same vein as those. Yeah. But it doesn't have any of the hits. Nope. With the exception of one, which is a lesser hit. I think you have to like Green Day to know that song. Yeah. And it's uh, it's not one of these you know, punk rock operas like American Idiot or 21st Century Breakdown. And they, you know, they got weird for a little bit. Uh, they went a little more acoustic, a little more folk with Warning and Nimrod. Yeah. And it's not those either. It really feels like the lost Green Day album, Bro. but it's possibly their best. Yeah. Although I will say, you want to talk about lost Green Day albums, no one even knows Shenanigans exists. I don't know a song off of Shenanigans. I know it exists. But I don't. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, that one's it's uh, only deep cuts. That entire album is just one big deep cut. <laughs> so is Green Day one of your favorite bands? Oh, most definitely. Uh, they were one of the first CDs I ever got when I was maybe like eight or ten. Maybe I, I, I don't remember which way it went. I either got American Idiot as my first album and then Dookie, or I got Dookie first and then American Idiot. I'm pretty sure I got Dookie first, but then American Idiot. Because, like, I remember being, like, into Green Day, and then someone, like, oh, kids were, like, talking about American Idiot. And then I was like, that's not a Green Day album. I know Green Day. I have Dookie. And they're like, well, this is a new album, fuckface. <laughs> they make different albums. I know, at least for me, my intro to Green Day... I would have been very young, albeit very aware of American Idiot in its existence. And then I very much remember 21st Century Breakdown, which came out in 2009. I very much being like aware of that album coming out and liking all of the singles, although I'm not sure they totally Mm -hmm. hold up now. And that was a point in my life because I was 10 years old and very cool and very normal. I was spending my weekends watching the VH1 Top 20 Music Video Countdown a lot. Yeah. And had detailed opinions on said countdown on a weekly basis. And like 21 Guns and Know Your Enemy and yep. uh, Last of the American Girls, mm-hmm. I think that's what that song is called. Mm-hmm. Those were in heavy rotation on that. So I know 21st Century Breakdown super well. And then American Idiot was, uh, for me at least, the more accessible of any of the Green Day albums just because it was a little newer um, and it was I mean it's more of a pop album than anything I mean Boulevard of Broken Dreams I stand by that song I like that song but that's a pop song American Idiot's just like uh, loaded with fucking hits and like you were saying earlier uh, it's super accessible and I think that Insomniac in a way is like the exact opposite Uh, I know it's, it's funny because like I feel like a good way to get an understanding of Insomniac is to, like, understand where it fits in and, like, their timeline as a band and their catalog in general. Uh, For me, I know it was the album they released, like, right after Dookie. And so they went from basically being uh, nothing, like, oh, like a very, like, uh, not nothing, but, like, they were big in, like, the East Bay, kind of, like, punk scene. Yeah, very much so. Huge in there, but nationally, they weren't really known as well. Uh, and then they came out with Dookie, and then just ended up on the cover of, like, Rolling Stone, Airplay, all day, 24-7. And as a result, they basically got, like, rejected by said East Bay punk scene where they got their roots. It's something that we'll talk about as we go through this album because it's referenced multiple times of this idea that they sold out and that they were no longer fitting in with the punk scene because they signed with a major label Mm -hmm. and then on top of signing with a major label, they became such a, I mean, one of the bigger bands in the world. I mean, I think we're, if it hasn't already happened, we're really only a few years away from when I come around and Basket Case being played on classic rock radio because... It's not you bump into songs from Dookie more so than you actually put them on. At least in my experience, yeah. like I, I like, I like pulling teeth and she a lot off that record. But I've heard the hit so many times because it was just what was there for me as yeah. I was starting to dip my toes into older music growing up. Because Allison Chains was my entryway, and then from there you go Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and then Green Day was just next in line. And mm-hmm. if you grow up with American Idiot and Twenty First Century Breakdown. 
it's weird to think that that is the same band, but there's like almost a level of comfort there. At least there mm-hmm. was with me of like, oh, I like Green Day. What are these songs like? And then you hear them and they're these blistering punk songs that yeah. really sound nothing like American Idiot, but they're they're very good. And so, oh, for sure. Like Dookie and even for whatever reason, I think it's because um, and I don't know if you've seen their Woodstock 94 performance with the mud slinging and oh, everything. Yeah. Like I was I loved that video as a kid. I thought that was the coolest thing. Again, normal 11-year-old stuff, watching Woodstock 94 videos on YouTube constantly. That's what's up. Just had tons of friends that were like, oh, that's really cool that you're watching classic concert footage uh, in the computer lab right now. I'm really glad that I was able to witness this. So a lot of that, but like they played a lot of songs off of Kerplunk, which was the record before Dookie on that Woodstock 94 uh, set. So... My Green Day knowledge was Kerplunk and the Dookie, and then this gray area where, like, yeah. you know, Time of Your Life, which is one of my least favorite songs of all time, but then I also Whoa. knew, oh, I, I, I can't. It's st- like, it's overplayed, but it's a good song. I respect it. I stand by it. My issue with that song, and it's, it's where I struggle with Green Day, is like, if you've seen the Green Day behind the music, which I have many times, yep. Billy Joe Armstrong would be like, you know, the most punk thing we could have done was to put an acoustic song on that album. I disagree wholeheartedly. It wasn't a punk thing to do. They wanted a hit and they got one. Congratulations. Everybody plays that song at their high school graduation party or whatever else. Great. You're you're going to live in infamy for that song, let alone whatever else you do. They could have been a one-hit wonder and good riddance time of your life would still be played constantly. But that's kind of where I struggle with Green Day is like... I don't know if I if I like the people in this band all that much. Like, they kind of bother me. All right. I don't know if I would be really good friends with Billy Joe Armstrong, even though we both love Operation Ivy. Billy Joe Armstrong worked with Morrissey, which I really respect. Yo, fuck but, Morrissey. Ah, here we go. Yo, I swear to God, if I see that dude in the streets, I'm, it's on site. I'm throwing bows. We I, have such a different reaction to if we fucking, saw Morrissey on the street. This is a fucking threat. <laughs> To Morrissey. Morrissey, if you're listening, if I see you in the streets, I will curb stomp your vegan ass. I... And that's a promise. I disagree with your logic, but that's okay. Yeah, you can you can disagree with my reasoning, but you can't disagree with a fucking fist through Morrissey's <laughs> smug British face. His stupid fucking British face. I'm no longer interested in discussing this topic. I would like to go back to Green Day. Morrissey's a big old bitch boy. So just a tubby vegan sack of lard. And if I catch him, I'm going to eat him. So that's a fact check. So on that note, in this pantheon of you have Dookie, which sells, it currently has sold over 20 million copies worldwide. And then this timeline of, if we just want to contextualize it with American Idiot, because I think that was the first Green Day album that we were both aware of in our existence. There's yeah. this record, Insomniac, yeah, which doesn't, seem to matter to that many people if you look at like green day live sets now where they're playing two hours and they're going through their catalog yeah there's never really a ton of insomniac representation there there's not it's not a bad album i don't think anybody looks at it as a flop but in the same way of an in utero or a pinkerton or even like rem's monster comparing that to what they had previously done with out of time or like lady gaga's monster or like Lady Gaga's monster. Compared to what she did to Poker Face. Or I'm just kidding, I have jo- no idea. Jolene, I think, was I don't know the Lady Gaga discography. I know a person named Jolisha. Just kidding, I don't know. These are good facts, Charlie. I'm keep these coming as we go along. <laughs> uh, but Insomniac is this record that exists almost on an island where like I said at the in top the of the show, all, like an island in the sun, green album, another Weezer reference. Good stuff there, Charlie. But I I think you have to be a Green Day fan to know even the hits off of this album. I just think you have to have a certain context for Green Day. But real quick, before we dive into Insomniac, yeah. and, I, and I ask this because it will come up later, mm-hmm. where is your music taste typically? What are bands that you kind of claim to be your bands? Dude, that's... So fucking see, I've like entered this stage in my life where I listen to a whole lot of bands, like from a lot of different stuff, but I haven't gone deep in on a band since like probably uh, Avenged Sevenfold when I first started listening. Like after that, like I just like I want to take it back to what you said earlier. Like crust punk, not I. 
I, I, this sounds so weird to say, but I'm very... I only listen to the surface level of crust That's punk. fine. You don't need to go any deeper. You're not missing much. Uh, excuse me, Magruder Grind? So, you're into a band like Avenged Sevenfold, which yeah. that was like... Before, when you pitched that to me, I was like, man, I don't have that in me to listen to an entire Avenged Sevenfold album. Their second album? Oh, I have just... Have you even heard their second album? What's the hit off of it? Uh, Unholy Confessions? I don't know. That They all See? sound the same. It's no, like, they don't, dude. It's like a bat or a skeleton no! or a skull or like some goblin, and then I just have to like, oh, okay, we're going to be spooky for no! 45 minutes. Dude, you're missing out. Their first album, or no, their second album is such a fucking bop. Like, it is their magnum opus. I guarantee you, their Waking of the Fallen is the fucking best album they've ever released. And if you don't, like, yo, I Won't See You Tonight Part 2 is a fucking jam. Like, you can, I say listen to part, like, for your first time, listen to I Won't See You Tonight Part 1 into Part 2, but after you get the context, just only listen to I Won't See You Tonight Part 2. Because it's fucking great. I think I know stuff off of, I'm looking at it now, I know stuff off of their self-titled record, which came out in 2007, because I had a friend that was super into the song Dear God, and I remember Bro, hearing that, that a lot. That's when they were all country and shit. Yeah, and then I know songs off of Nightmare, too, but I think that's just because, weirdly... Man! Like, th- this was still, like, the Avenged Sevenfold is kind of that last era of, like, hard rock being represented in any sort of, like, national media landscape, where, like, you would see an Avenged Sevenfold music video on, like, Fuse or, like, VH1 yeah. if you watched at a weird time, so I'm definitely aware of that, but I... I Dude. It's a, it's a lot for me. Bro, their old album, it's nothing like that. It's straight up, like, metalcore, screamo shit. I'm real on the fence about that. Any sort of metal music, I I naturally want to dislike. What? Because metal is the enemy of punk. No, it's not. That beef got squashed in like 1998. Where you been? But at? I still feel very. Where you been at? <laughs> Are you living in like fucking like you're fucking at a Metallica concert in 1984, just seeing some long fucking like what? No, what? I would never be at a Metallica concert, no matter the context. I can't imagine anything worse. You're pure punk. Yeah, and Metallica. I have to fight this with people. Uh, at my office all the time of like arguing whether or not Metallica is any good and I just they're fucking great I can't stand most Metallica songs do you just hate fun uh, yes but that's been established that I'm not you're right I'm, I'm a happy person but I'm not a super fun person and that's something that I have had to make peace with dude I know for like the first couple albums Metallica had like when they were like still thrashy like everything before uh, the Black album yeah fucking Bob you tell me Ride the Lightning, like, doesn't get your dick a little hard? I like one. That is the one Metallica song that I can be into. What? I know. I've heard that's a, Dude. That's a hot take of sorts. Bro, like, it's a great song. I loved it. Like, that's what helped get me into, like, heavy shit. But, like, bro. So, October 10th, bro. 1995. Yeah. Insomniac comes out. It is 14 songs over 32 minutes. Billy Joe Armstrong said in an interview with Kerrang! magazine, and I quote, The fact that that album came out like a year and a half after Dookie was us trying to cut off the bullshit in his tracks and just keep making music. That's all we wanted to do, keep making music. Sometimes I feel that Insomniac is the most honest record I've ever made at that particular moment because it was written and recorded how I felt. That is Billy Joe Armstrong, and I think that is a fair introduction into what's to come so charlie unless you have anything else to say i think we should start diving into this record fuck it let's get it son let's do it Shanks kicks off the record. It's not different than anything you'd hear on Dookie. I mean, this feels like it would be an album track in that same sense. And that's part of what confuses me about this record. Because like we talked about on the first episode of the show, we talked about Weezer's Pinkerton and how a lot of the fun 
and the joy that was captured in the Blue Album was vanished on Pinkerton. It sounded, whatever fun was contextualized there turned into bitterness and anger in the second record. Here... I love the incel vibes Pinkerton puts oh, out. Oh, it's... And they it's are favorite. hard to beat. It's shocking the way the incel vibes come across on that record. But here, it's like... I mean, Trey's hitting the drums really, really hard, and he says in interviews around the time that this album was made that... He had just had a kid, and he didn't know how hard he could hit the drums until he realized he had all of this pent-up anger and frustration just trying to start a family. And so he's hitting the drums really hard, and they come across very clearly in the mix. That's one thing about this record is uh, the drums sound great, Billy Joe sounds great, the guitar sounds great. I do think the bass is a little bit lost in the mix as we go throughout this record, so I'll say that now so I don't repeat myself. Mike never gets the love he deserves, man. Mike never gets the love he deserves, which is a shame because he's one of my favorite bass players of all time, and I think what makes Green Day songs sound the way they do more often than not is the bass because he has a very specific style and sound to the way he plays. Mm -hmm. There's something about those songs that I think encapsulates Green Day very well uh, in the sense of the chorus saying, I perfect the science of the idiot. I must insist on being a pessimist. I'm a loner and a catastrophic mind, which is very angsty and very, in a way, almost upsetting because it's so bleak and almost nihilistic in a way. But there's not layers to it. It's very straightforward. And I think that is what makes just straight up hates himself. That's what makes Green Day Green Day. Like, there's punk music like this that, like, has layers and emotions and is not immediately accessible. This is understood quickly. Which is weird because, like, I would say that this is, like, a huge departure from, like, even all their earlier stuff. Because, like, you should listen to, like, fucking Kerplunk and 1039 Smooth. It's all just, like, them. Like, man, I I love the judge's daughter. Oh, I see this girl at a library, and I want to ask her for a library card. Man, I miss her. I'm just a little, a little Billy Joe art hoe, and I just want, I just want a girl to love me. And but in the time since those records were recorded and released, they signed to a major label, yeah. and then they became a major success. Yeah. And and whoever was you know, supporting them then turned their backs, and then they had this entirely new oh, yeah. allegiance of fans and. On a, on a lesser scale, it happened to the band Jawbreaker, where, you know, 24-hour revenge therapy was looked at as, you know, they became the new East Bay gods, because Green Day had left, but Jawbreaker was going to stay. And then Jawbreaker came out uh, and signed with Geffen, and they put out Dear You, which I think is the best Jawbreaker record uh, in their catalog, and it's lost and unappreciated on so many people because it was their major label album. And I do think Insomniac has that stigma because if this comes out on Lookout or another smaller label, I think this is looked at as some sort of like late 20th century classic. But instead, yeah. we're here and it's post Dookie. And no matter what they were going to do, yeah. they could have put out Time of Your Life on this album. And I don't think it would have been as big of a hit because. It's really hard, and I and I read a lot of stuff about how this record comes out, and the singles would get played for a few weeks on the radio, but the radio still wanted Basket Case and When yeah. I Come Around in Longview and Welcome to Paradise, because mm-hmm. Dookie was full of hits. Yeah, it's just a gem. Like, this album is just, like, straight up, like, some of... It's honestly their angriest sounding out. Like, it's angrier than Der- Dookie. Like, Dookie's got some edge to it, but, like, you still hear that little bit, like, man, I'm just kind of like, I'm smoking weed. It's almost like... There's just, like, a general, like, malaise to Dookie that is, like, understandable, but it's, like, you know, whatever. It's just, like, I'm bored. There's nothing going on. Whereas uh, Insomniac is just, like, I'm, I've am i been up all night snorting crank. Like, I'm pissed. Everyone hates me. I hate my job. I hate everything. And, like, that's exactly what Insomniac is. Like, they're just, like, so angry that... Like, it's insane. I think it's very apparent on track two as well. This is Brat off of Insomniac. Mom and dad don't look so hot. They say, say, get it over the hill.
according to Billy Joe Armstrong, Brat is about a song, or I guess rather is a song about a kid waiting for his parents to die so he can get that inheritance money. An interesting strategy when we scope it as a get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah, and especially considering, like, Billy Joe's like, this is, like, I feel it's kind of ironic, but kind of true, because, like, at this point, Billy Joe's dad, I'm pretty sure, had, like, already died, and, like, he never came from a wealthy family, so he's, like, not singing uh, on from his own point of view. I feel like this is kind of, like, how he imagines, like the almost like the dead kennedys uh holiday in cambodia yeah almost compared to this like their point it's from the point of view of kind of like a snobby kind of you know well-to-do holier-than-thou east bay punk who just comes from money but like you know thinks they're artsy and shit like those types of people are still around. So I definitely think that this song is like still relevant today because uh, we go to Colombia and this is half the fucking student body. Not it's, to say that no. I'm better than that. But, mm, but, but, like, you know, I feel like there is like a timelessness to like the kind of like uh, ignorance and bliss that comes from, you know, having, you know, family and you know, a supportive household that like Billy Joe never had. And then, you know, using that place of, I guess, maybe like privilege to just talk shit about, you know, Billy who, uh, and the whole band really, who like basically started from nothing to work themselves to this point. You know, I feel like it's kind of like, what the fuck, bro? I completely agree. I, this song really stood out to me because I was just trying to contextualize this idea of a band that sounds like this having the mass fanfare that they did because in this song wasn't a single it was never played on the radio but there were songs from this record and from dookie obviously that were played on alternative radio stations and even a sound like this this very pop punk really not dipping their toes into hardcore at all i mean you know Mm -hmm. they were touring or at least around bands like that when they were still uh, a northern california band but it's not it's not a hardcore record in the slightest it is really prototypical pop punk but even a sound like that would be absent from alternative radio today there's no way that if this record came out now that it would get any sort of airplay and it's a shame because i was just thinking about like okay this band clearly broke some sort of bubble or at least tapped into something that had not been tapped into with the exception of, you know, the early days of the grunge movement. We're still in 1995. Mm -hmm. So alternative is just starting to turn really commercial, but I think there's still some sort of integrity in the alternative scene in terms of that being what it is an alternative at this point. But there's a, like a blind confidence with this song and with this band around this time that like, even if you don't understand maybe the irony of the song or if you don't understand the message of it, there is a confidence and a sound and an intensity that yeah. I'm like, oh, the captain of the football team could like this too. Like yeah. he might be there. Uh, he might be going to their shows to mosh and he's probably mm-hmm. going to fuck somebody up in the pit because he doesn't yeah. understand the logistics of it. But yeah. I understand why he's there because he is also feeling some sort of angst and rage although he might not know how to contextualize it the way that an artist does yeah green day was able to tap into that i think they do a great job in that with brat and i think they do a great job with that in stuck with me which is track three i'm not part of your la i'm just with me was a single in certain parts of the world but not the united states but it is considered to be the second single off of insomniac and i was not familiar with this song coming in there were really three or four songs that i knew in in one that i really really knew like i knew Mm -hmm. the words to coming into this record but it was one that i had always wanted to explore and i'm glad i did because a song like stuck with me is going to stick with me charlie what are your thoughts on this track uh stuck with me is a song and it is music and it is no um 
It's kind of like, again, this whole album, I would say, is like the theme is just self-hate and, you know, a lot of destructive kind of tendencies. And then this has the vibe of like... Well, I'm a piece of shit, so why would anyone want to go out with me? Like, it's it's the average Joe song on the record. Yeah. You know, I'm not a part of your elite. I'm just all right. Class structures, waving colors, bleeding from my throat. I'm not subservient to you. I'm just all right. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't want to say it's lost in the landscape of music, but I think it's lost in the terms of this, to some extent, was a mainstream success. I mean, it debuted at number two on the Billboard charts. And it's like, yeah, of course, because this the 16 to 22 year olds, they not yeah. only do they want to hear this, they probably need to hear this. Yeah. Of course, this was a big hit. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of this song. I think it's classic Green Day. I can't believe this song isn't bigger because it's just everything that the band does. Well, it's fast. Like I said, good guitar, good drums. It's there's something about it that's catchy, even if they're not really saying anything worldly. And that was something that I started to think about with this album of like. Okay, I know American Idiot, where they are making political statements and grandiose mm. claims and tackling worldly issues. This is just kind of an album about themselves for the most part. It's yeah. a lot of uh, autobiographical tales, and yeah. it's a lot of commenting on like the Bay punk scene. Yeah, like it, there's nothing big that's happening with this. It's yeah. just dumb, but it's it's no different than a Nirvana where you know you can write as introspectively as you like, but it turns out that other people are going to be feeling that way too. And I think Green Day nailed that. Stink Breath is track four. It was the first single off of Insomniac. Bro. You like it? We Need we even, like, say more about it? Like, this song is just, like, so, like... He's like, yeah, I'm fucking doing coke. I'm snorting meth. I don't give a fuck about my body. Like, he's just, like, straight... Like, he's straight obsessing. He's got no decision. He's just gonna lead a path to self-destruction. Like, this is straight up, like, he hates himself, bro. Fuck this. Let's just go crazy. Like, it's, like, the most clearly, you know... I feel like this kind of song uh, sums up how they were feeling at the time. Like, perfectly, I feel. It's very much of the time. I don't think there's... Even with the substance issues that the band has uh, spoken very openly of in the past, this song is not being written... I don't even think two years after the fact, let alone now. I mean, this is a, I think there's a certain youthfulness of like youthful destruction that yeah. this song speaks to that even if they're a few years older, I don't think this song exists, at least in the way it does. It's one of the weaker songs on the album, I think. Really? Yeah. I I don't know if I can make the case to cut it. There's some resequencing and maybe losing a track or two that I could argue at the end of the album. This is certainly on the bubble. I, I definitely would have not gone with this as my lead single. Yeah, that's a that's a hard sell, just because this is straight up like talking about like picking scabs off your face. Yeah, I like... think this works as an album cut, and I think this could work as a fan favorite, but you hear a song like Stuck With Me or even this next one, which we can get into, this is No Pride, which mm. deals with the politics of barrier punk, which is not a mainstream concept that most people can latch onto, but the, the song, lack of pride. the lack of pride, but it's so catchy, at least in my opinion, we'll hear Charlie's after we hear the song that I think it would work much better as a single than something like extinct breath. Pride is track number five. This deals with a concept that I kind of want to know your opinion on just because yeah. you dip your toes in a... And I don't have pride. 
you don't have pride, and you dip your toes into the punk scene just a little bit. Every but so it's often. it's a song about this concept of selling out versus not selling out, and it doesn't it just seem like that's maybe uh, not as relevant in today's music scene. Honestly, like the I feel I used to be obsessed with like sell out and keeping it real but like the older I've gotten the more I've realized like the idea of like what it means to be a sellout versus not a sellout is so fucking like it it means it doesn't mean anything like as long as you're doing what you want you're not a sellout you could be working with like the biggest corporations in the world and if you're doing it from a place of like love and passion then that's cool like the one person who like really kind of like changed my perspective on this was just like hearing interviews with like Tony Hawk oh yeah and stuff like talking about how he got like he started like working with McDonald's and stuff and he was like yeah I always ate McDonald's never like I started eating McDonald's to fit this community like I eat McDonald's. If you my kids McDonald's, why not get paid by McDonald's? And guess what? I use that McDonald's money to like build thousands of skate parks across America on their dime. So like, is that a sellout thing? No, I feel like he's just using his like money and influence to just spread his passion. I'm so, all for people getting paid. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it is if you are going to survive in this industry and i use the term industry because it is a business at Mm -hmm. some point you either are going to get paid or you are going to die out and that's just the reality of the situation and i i part of it is just this idea that like major labels aren't interested in this type of music right now like it seems like the ceiling is like epitaph where you can tour you know you can open for bad religion or alkaline Mm -hmm. trio but you're not necessarily going to hit a launching pad into you know warner brothers or whatever like that's just not something that's happening in the current landscape the closest i can think of at least in recent memory of like a selling out versus not selling out is weirdly enough a band like the front bottoms where i don't know if you're a fan of them at all not really into it that's okay i'm not not into it it's just i don't listen to that for sure but like they were on uh bar none for their first two records which is a very independent label and then they signed with fueled by ramen and I don't think the idea of signing with Fueled by Ramen, who helped jumpstart like Paramore's career, that that yeah. in itself is not a sin. But they, when they put out their first record on that, and I use air quotes, major label, it was such a drastic shift in sound that I think people that really attached themselves to this band got very concerned of like, oh, they they are selling out. They're not doing exactly what I liked from them. And the variable there is what label they were on. So I, I remember it coming up there, but it just... I don't think there's enough money or interest in the scene right now to to care about this necessarily. Like, I don't yeah. remember the last time I heard like a big heated discussion on a band selling out or not selling out. I do find this, uh, this quote from David Brown of Entertainment Weekly interesting where he says, and I quote, and this is uh, him reviewing Insomniac for Entertainment Weekly, which I think if you want to look at the musical landscape of 1995, this is a great place to start. Yeah. Green Day is getting a write-up in Entertainment Weekly oh, yeah. that is certainly not happening with X, you know, punk band mm-hmm. today. But yeah. he says, louder, brawnier, and more popular than ever. Thanks to traditionists like Green Day, Rancid, and Surfer Dudes, The Offspring, punk rock is now a formally reborn genre, yet it is yet it is a revival, snot, nose full of fascinating contradictions. For one, this anti-establishment music and stance is now treated by a new generation as if it were an establishment itself. The spiked haircuts and pierced body parts are a regulation uniform, and today's young punkers no longer resemble their pale predecessors of the 1970s. More often than not, they could pass for pissed-off health spa members. Beyond music, old Old punk had a social context. It was intended to rattle complicated middle-class suburban youth, and it accomplished the goal handedly. Yet, new punk doesn't seem to be upsetting or annoying anybody. Instead, it's accepted and beloved. The only people jarred, it seems, are record executives battling their way through mosh pits in order to reach the bands and start contract negotiations. And that is from David Brown of Entertainment Weekly. That is a perfect, yeah. you know, way to summarize this. Is is Green Day was capitalizing on an opportunity if they're coming out in 1985 you know and they're coming up through dc or whatever no one is rushing to give them contracts and dookie would be looked at as you know an embrace or a rights of spring or you know whatever minor threat was doing is like this underground classic but nirvana broke and punk became mainstream and everything changed yeah and a band like green day had the opportunity to go you know we could play gillam street you know once a month and do our thing and tour around the country in these small clubs or we could sign with Warner Brothers and get played on MTV. Yeah, it's like, the way it, it's the way it worked then. Unfortunately, yeah. 
And I don't know. I feel like half the arguments and like talk of, you know, people calling each other sellouts comes like no successful people call each other sellouts. It's always like broke bitches trying to like punch up at like people who have shit that they don't and wish they had. Like no one's in like a comfortable place in life and calling someone else a sellout. That's just like my take on it. Track six is Babs Uvula, who, Charlie, you are a graduate, or I guess rather an alumni an alum. of the Second City Training School. Yes, yes, yes. So I ask you, with that in mind, do you know what the title of this song is in reference to? A little trivia for you. I do not. That is okay. I did not know either until I began research for this podcast. The title of the song is taken from a 1976 Saturday Night Live sketch called Babs Uvula, in which Chevy Chase and Gilda Radner have all sorts of fun because it's Chevy Chase and he's a fun-loving he's guy. He's a lovely guy, great person. I know him personally. <laughs> and you're a huge fan of everything he's he stands for and represents. Everything he's ever done, I or support, said or said on or off stage. On or off stage, I support 100%. Now that you've dug your heels in. Yep. This is a great song. It's a good song. I right? love this. This is frantic energy at its finest. When I think about just what I like in music, a lot of it comes from this sort of sound. There's no deep meaning here. There's no emotional vulnerability. Love it. It's just kind of loud noise in a in a very pleasing way. What brings you up? Six is the next song on the record. We once again go back to that idea of selling out versus not selling out. And this song is once again about the punk scene that they grew up in, specifically because they, after signing with a major label, were banned by 924 Gilman Street, yep. which is a venue yep. that is uh, legendary in the punk circles. I think it's kind of one of those, if you know, you know, if you don't, you don't. Shout out to Kellen Halsey. Word. Uh, but... Uh, 924 has a very specific rule set no drugs no alcohol violence racism sexism homophobia all things that you know I very much support support. in life and and in venues I think those are good ways to live racism and sexism Uh, man these (laughs) venues need more homophobia I support not having that in spaces but this is a venue that housed acts like Green Day and Rancid and Jawbreaker as they were coming up Uh, but there was just a lot of unwritten rules and a lot of unspoken code and it goes back to punks being very protective and not wanting bands to get too big because these were their bands and this was our scene gatekeeping is what it is man like I don't know punk I don't know do you watch a punk rock NBA podcast no Bro, you need to check out this YouTuber. It's called Punk Rock NBA. Okay. Dude uh, grew up in the hardcore scene, was super into that shit. He's talked to, like, dudes that were, like, in the shit. And uh, he was just talking about how, like, he talked about how, like, uh, whatever makes, like, gatekeepers angry is, like, the sign of, like, what's to come. And, like, I think punk being, like, so, like, you can't have it this way or, like, it's... It's, it's like cannibalization, man. Like, punk always, like, talks about how, like, man, they're, they're always like, oh, this band blew up and they sold out. Fuck this, fuck that. Like, and then complain why their genre isn't so big. It's because, like, you tear down the bands when they get, like, a little bit of money. And, like, you end up destroying your own scene because, you know, you might have to pay $10 for a ticket instead of 5 Or, like, some band might get, like, a deal that, like, 
allows them to pay this month's rent, you know? I feel the same way about the current landscape in the skateboarding community, where skateboarding is very divided right now among, like, guys that stay true to the streets and that just want to film their parts and do their videos and do this. And then, you know, skateboarding is going to be in the Olympics this year. And it's televised to some extent, and there are you know, borderline celebrities like Nigel Houston that now operate in the same world as, you know, someone like Andy Roy, who is out of his mind. It's it's a staunch contradiction within the scene itself, and I feel like punk rock has started to evolve out of that to an extent of just like, you know, do your thing, and as long as you're making art that is true to you, more power to you, whereas skateboarding is very much cannibalizing itself and, you know, these dudes are sellouts and these dudes are too mainstream. Yeah. And what we're doing here, it's a lot of it relates back to Northern California. It seems like the Bay Area just yeah. has a problem with this. Yeah, and dude, like, fucking fuck NorCal. <laughs> yeah, like, it seems like, now that I think about it, maybe it's just a problem in San Francisco. In San Francisco, yeah. But, yes, I, no, I see a lot of parallels there. Notice how all the people talking shit about Nyjah are the broke bitches living in fucking Skid Row who, like can't afford their $3,000 a month rent for their 100 square foot like bedroom like where there's like already like meals like it's just like people who don't have anything complaining about like people who do have stuff and I'm not saying that like you know well I'm not trying to be like get a job you fucking pussy like not like that but at the same time and this is something I struggle with too it's like celebrating success and like it's like a rising tide lifts all boats you know and this goes also goes back to Tony Hawk because like Rob Deerdeck was talking about how like we need the Olympics skateboarding needs the Olympics but Tony Hawk was like I think the Olympics need skateboarding more than skateboarding needs them so it's like you know just being proud of what you're doing and having integrity in yourself and being willing to you know support each other like I find it cool that you can go to a skate park and see some dude with like a 10 inch wide skateboard and a fucking beanie and cuff jeans to the nines side by side with a dude doing you know body varials in camo pants and shit <laughs> you know <laughs> multicolored camo pants that's a very funny and very specific skateboarding joke that I'm afraid is going to be lost on most people but yeah. I really enjoyed that so far through Insomniac it's been pretty straightforward every song sounds pretty similar it all follows a similar structure yeah. but then we move into Panic Song which Ooh. seems like a maybe more of a risk for Green Day than anything they had done up to this point oh for sure longest song on the record it clocks in at 335 there is a two minute instrumental to start this which is profoundly different from anything green day had done up to this point i'll be honest i like the song but that intro feels like it goes on for 15 minutes way too long it is it is maybe the weakest song on the album i respect what they attempted to do because they wanted to create some sort of panic attack vibe but it's not the song for me yeah like i feel like it's a good indicator of things to come on albums like nimrod and stuff yeah very much so yeah but like in the context of this album it's kind of weird but i do feel like it comes out of like them just like like literally having like, cause if I was like having a panic attack and like just had a guitar in hand, like this is what I would be playing. I'd just be fucking like going crazy, uh, just like hammering the same chords over and over again, just kind of like building and stuff. So, and when we get to the end of the record, I will talk about just the idea of listening to these fourteen songs in a row and how it was like almost stressful for me by the end of yeah. it. I think you could take away Panic Song than a song that we'll talk about in just a little bit, cut it down to 12, and I think it becomes a much more enjoyable listening experience. An enjoyable listening experience could also be singular in the sense that it could be Stuart in the Avenue, which is next. Let's hear that Ooh. now.
another song that I was not familiar with going into this podcast, but another song that I will be taking away. I love this song. Your thoughts on Stuart and the Avenue? No, Stuart and the Avenue is like just like it's a fun kind of boppy song that I really like. I feel like it kind of like still got that kind of general kind of like meh, like sadness, but it just, you know, it kind of like picks the album back up after going into like a bad place for a couple songs in weird spots. It like kind of brings you the energy back up halfway through. Every pop punk album needs a good breakup song, and yeah. this is that one. This delivers on it's it is almost like a stereotype. I mean, it is a fast-paced, whiny mm-hmm. song about being broken up with, but I, I love it. I think one thing that we talked about that I thought was noticeably absent on this record was Mike Space. It's very present in the song, oh, and sure. it, it just gives the song a new layer. That is Green Day. It is this three-piece act where all three parts are heard to some extent, and I think this rocks. Having trouble trying to sleep. I'm counting shit but running out. As time ticks by, still I try. No rest for cops in my mind. So track 10 is brain stew, but before we break this down, I think to make the most of this listening experience. We also need to hear track 11 and discuss the two as if they were one song. This is Jaded. So Brain Stew and Jaded together were packaged as one single. When you heard one of them, you heard the other. It would be very Mm -hmm. weird, in my opinion, to hear Jaded, especially on its own. Yeah. Whereas Brain Stew can and has stood alone. But I I like the the pairing of those two together. Oh, for sure. This is the one song that I like knew going in. I know the words to this. I love this song. I've heard it a million times. I'm a big fan of this. Where do you stand on it? Uh, I'm a good fan. Uh, it's cool. I got to be in the mood for it. I do love, you know, I love when it gets picked back up and jaded. Like, Brain Stew, like, the first half, I'm like, well, it's all right. I could take it or leave it. But when it, like, builds, I love songs that kind of, like, build into stuff. And this does a perfect job of that build. And it seems like Brain Stew is, is almost the coming down of whatever high they're off of. And then yeah. Jaded really picks it back up. You're like, oh, I'm back to, to where I was. And it, yeah. it works. Absolutely. I, I like this. To me, I just would have built the entire record, and it. I think it ended up becoming this way, but again, it wasn't the lead single, which I do think was a mistake, because I think Brain Stew would have been a very intriguing lead single, because it's much slower than anything the band had done up to this point, mm-hmm. and it builds in just a different way than most Green Day songs do. Had this been heard off the bat, maybe this album takes on a new legacy of its own, because it is the song that has survived oh, from sure. this record. It's Like I said, it's the one that I really knew going into this. It's one that I still love. I can't say it's my favorite song on the album, but I think it would have been a much more interesting uh, sort of sonic shift had the band let off with this. Instead, it was the third yeah. single. And it, and it worked. It's a very good song. It's yeah. still played uh, both on satellite radio and on terrestrial radio to this day. And you see it coming back in like tiktoks and stuff like, is it a tiktok see, song yeah, like kind no but like there's this one video of like this like street busker playing like the intro and then this like rap guy in like chains is like throwing he's like ad-libbing in the middle of the guy <laughs> doing brains too he's like they're, like they're gonna bleed and the other guy's like yeah <laughs> um uh. Oh, like in the middle of it. And I'm like, all right, this is progress. Charlie, thank you for keeping me up to date on our content creators out there. Yo, they are I'm creating, a content creator. They are Follow creating that content. Are you on TikTok? I am on TikTok. What's I'm your thing? Charlie Ulch. Follow me on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Interesting. Charlie decides to do all of his plugs now because <laughs> we're not even done with the album. We've got three songs left and this oh, is fuck, Westbound sorry. Sign.
hey, this is the Green Day that I know and love. This is just, it's textbook Green Day. Textbook. It is a bit of a road trip love song. It's about Billy Joe's wife moving from Minnesota, rather, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis to oh, California to be with him. It's, I, I don't have a ton to say about this because, and as we're almost done with the record, it becomes more of our parents. Some of these songs start to bleed together a little bit, um, but on its own, I really enjoy this song. Yeah. Taiwan Hill is track 13. Let's hear that now. No, again, that's just like the, that. Taiwan Hill is just like another kind of like, yeah, it's a good punk song. Like it's nothing, just kind of bleeding. It's good. I like it on its own, but I don't know. It is one of the two songs that I think this album could lose. I think if you cut this and you cut Panic Song, you're down to twelve songs. It becomes a little more palatable as a as a front to back listen. Yeah, uh, it is based on a real place. Tightwad Hill is a real place. It was kind of the cool hill. You're from the suburbs of Illinois. Which suburb uh, in particular? Downers Grove, aka the Dirty Six Thirty. The Dirty Six Thirty. Do you have any like where did the bad kids hang out? Did you have one of those spots at Downers Grove? Uh, a little bit. I don't know. I wasn't a bad kid, so I didn't know where the bad kids hung out. Uh, you weren't a bad kid. I was like thought I, I thought I was a bad kid but I was pretty straight lace like in scouts and shit uh, there's oh, this okay. one place called Fischl Park where like kids used to smoke weed uh, I don't know just like various parks and, and shit people's houses mainly people just hung out in like people's houses like you had that like one bad mom who kind of like didn't care what they did I feel like that's where a lot of people did their stuff but for the most part I don't know there's just things I don't know how things are in the rest of the world or country, but there's just, like, parks and stuff kids would go to to, like, smoke weed or whatever. That sounds like America. Yeah, and, like, when I was a kid, I was like, what the fuck? They're, like, might as well be shooting up heroin. (laughs) But, like, now I'm just like, where else are you going to smoke weed? Yeah, for sure. Just, like, like, just stay away from me, but do your thing. I don't care. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I call it the uh, 3630, ironically. It's a very white suburb. Uh, very, uh, for those of you who are aware of it, uh, there's actually more black people in Naperville than there are in Downers <laughs> Grove. And so if you're familiar with, uh, Illinois suburbs, Illinois suburbs, that should be like a, whoa. Yeah, that's a, I did not know that. And I am shocked by that. Yeah. So, uh, that gives you a kind of inkling of to, as to what shenanigans went down in Downers Grove uh, around 2008, 2010 or so. The glory days. Yeah. Well, Charlie, we have hit our final song on the record. Yeah! Woo! The fourth and final single off of Insomniac. This is Walking Contradiction. song on the record i like it a lot this is awesome uh i know they came out with a music video for it uh i feel like this kind of predicts the weird i don't know billy joe's taking a turn for the pseudo deep metaphorical poetic shit yeah as of it sucks late. well it start it started with american idiot and then he had some sort of voice in like the political landscape he's like no i have to make statements and, and i'm a voice i'm a voice of a generation it's like no you're not you're the guy from green day stop yeah, it. yeah like it i don't know this is cool it's like walking contradictions literal contradictions yeah yeah yeah. i get it like it's cool it's fun i don't have too many complaints about the lyrics but you know as time goes on he starts to get more or I guess it doesn't really kick into like American Idiot uh, kind of era, especially now with like Father of All and uh, Revolution Radio, like these weird, large uh, metaphors that kind of don't make sense and are somewhat like 
I don't know a good word for it, but like overly like complicated, like weirdly, I don't know. He's trying so hard to like paint these big metaphorical pictures. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? It makes sense that they are doing that because they've been around for 30 years at this point, which is insane to think about, but it's not what I'm ever going to be looking for from Green Day. This is about as deep as I want them to get because I think this song rules. It's my favorite song on the record. Just go back to talking about jacking off. Like, that's what I want to hear about Green Day. Just getting smoking weed, jacking off, and hating your parents. That's what I look for in Green Day. For sure. So if you look at the Rolling Stone review of this record, which was written... Uh, by Mark Coleman. Uh, He says, and I quote, punk has always been about getting in touch with your inner adolescence. A lot of tangled emotion and self-destructive impulses get unearthed in that process, and the quest has proven too much for Sid Vicious, Kurt Cobain, and a thousand other tragic cases. Yet the musical chain of punk, traced by critic Lester Bangs back to La Bamba, hasn't been broken yet. From the garage bands of the 60s to the underground rockers of the 70s, from the hardcore bands of the 80s to the platinum punks of today, more than any of their peers, Green Day understood what it has kept this self-consciously rebellious strain of pop so strong and irrelevant. The core message of Insomniac, like great all punk records, is that redemption is possible only through cold-eyed realism, not trendy nihilism or bleak despair. And that comes from Mark Coleman of Rolling Stone. So, Charlie, we have reached the end of this record 14 songs 32 minutes on a scale of 1 to 10 where do you rank Insomniac oh man I was trying to think about like how I rated this album because like I'm looking at it through like nostalgic lenses and then critical lenses I'd give the song maybe like a 6 out of 10 Uh, okay really 6 like it's it's good it's alright it's average somewhat better than average it's not like a masterpiece by any means but like it's a just kind of straightforward where does it rank album. in the pantheon of Green Day records for you? Um, Not that you need to list every single one because there is quite a bit, but is yeah, it, a you know, upper tier of Dookie American Idiot or are you looking at it a little bit lower on the scale? I would say it's kind of like upper, it's like mid-tier. It's like a very kind of like mid-tier album. Like it's good, it's got some moments, uh, it goes well with their old discography and stuff. You know, it's just kind of like a, it's not good amazing it's not bad it's just kind of like a like straightforward you know listen toable listenable punk record that you know it's good it's decent it's solid i think i like it a little bit more than you i'm floating around a 7.5 or so Ooh. uh i will say i came away from this appreciating i, I appreciate this record for what it is i came away appreciating dookie a little bit more that was yeah. just like oh my god like that really is a masterpiece. It's really fucking good. It's really, really good. So I give this a 7.5, Charlie somewhere around a 6. Rolling Stone at the time gave this a 3.5 out of 5. It got a B from Entertainment Weekly and an 8 out of 10 from Spin. It should also be noted that the website Brooklyn Vegan, which I think they do great work, uh, recently had a piece come out uh, about how... In the writer's mind, Insomniac was the best Green Day album of all time. The album is titled, or I'm sorry, the article is titled, rather, Unpopular Opinion, but Green Day's Insomniac is the best album uh, of their catalog That's or something like that. bold fucking claim. It is. It gets into this idea of, you know, it's underappreciated because it came out right after Dookie and because there's not a drastic sonic shift, but this is the record that paved the way for Time of Your Life and gave them the voice that they kind of needed for American Idiot. It's a good read. I would check that out on Brooklyn Vegan, but Charlie, I must ask now, who needs to hear this album and Uh, why? I feel like anyone who uh, isn't familiar with Green Day's discography. If you're a Green Day fan, this is a must listen. Uh, if you're looking to discover some like early 2000s punk music, like if you only know Green Day for their new stuff, like 21st Century Breakdown, it's a good idea to take a listen to this and see what they used to make and the kind of energy they had back in the day. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say who needs to listen to this album because, I don't know, I would say a hardcore Green Day fan, but just anyone listening to just nostalgic albums from the 90s, it's kind of like pop punk era, like if you're just going down like an offspring kind of rancid, like vibe or mood or something like that, just listen to old punk albums. Um, yeah. 
if you have unchecked rage, yeah, Insomniac is for you. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, if you got, if you like pop punk and you're like, I'm feeling kind of pissed today, this is a definitely, definitely must listen to. Charlie Ulch, we have reached the end of the show. Now I must ask, where can people find you? What do you have to plug? What do you have going on? Uh, you can find me playing Warhammer 40K at the transfer between the Jackson uh, Red Line and Blue Line. Uh, I'll be selling crack there. Um, just kidding. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, that's about it. I, If you want to send me a Venmo money you can venmo me for my lost venture card uh yeah i recently had a tiktok get a little bit of a uh, little bit of traction and if you're in the saying. chicago area you can support charlie's improv team double go oh shit yeah i forgot we had <laughs> fuck i yeah. think i think we've had half the team on now i look forward to getting the other three on shit. at some point yeah uh, but if you're in the chicago area be sure to check out their facebook page because they i've had quite a bit of shows recently yeah and i have yet to see a bad Double ghost show. Yo, like uh, three shows ago, we fucking bombed so <laughs> fucking hard, dude. It's ridiculous. You, I, I'm glad you missed. Yeah, that I one. must have not been that on was that a one. Hard fucking bomb. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. I'd like to thank Charlie for being on. As always, you can find this podcast on Instagram at Art School Albums. You can find us on any podcasting platform. Stitcher, subscribe, including Stitcher. That's where I listen to all my podcasts. How do you get on Stitcher? It's the. It's just a thing. It, it's just like any other platform. That doesn't... How do I get on a Stitcher? <laughs> like the, the app? Like SoundCloud? You, like where you, anyone can just upload shit? Or do you have to get verified or some shit? Uh, it's, there's like a verification process that takes like a day. Sounds like some government propaganda to it's track e- you. It's easier to get on Stitcher than it is to get on, on iTunes. I'm going to have to check this out. All right. Yes. Uh, it is on every podcast platform. Uh, Spotify. So th- Spotify. Wait, really? You're on Spotify? I'm on Spotify. Oh, shit, dog. Yes. Uh, so subscribe there. Uh, leave me any feedback, please. And then, as always, if you want to get in touch with me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Caselow, C-A-S-E-L-W-E. I'd like to thank Charlie Olch for being on and discussing Green Day's Insomniac with me. And until next time, I thank you for listening to the Art School Albums podcast. Whoop. Well-